God, we are so humbled by your work. Jesus, I thank you that as we come together this morning, we have already been reflecting on your greatness. We've been reflecting on your death and your resurrection. We have eaten gluten-free rice crackers and drank grape juice as a mental and physical reminder of who you are. And then we, we've had break where we ate sweets and cookies and, and a little bit of vegetables and some coffee and some tea, and, and we did all of that to be in community together. And so today as we come, I pray for every single one of us from the youngest in the room to the oldest, that we would, that we would be attentive to your word that comes in the message today, that we would be attentive to your solutions, to the Messiah we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you know what? It doesn't take you to be very old before you start to recognize that things aren't working perfectly in the world. And we're kind, we kind of get sick of it. The older we get, we get sick of the things that aren't working perfect in the world. We want things to just get done right and to be fixed. We're done with things that, that are corrupt. Like, if you're, in high, if, you're in, if you're in grade school right now, have you ever had your teacher do something that was completely unfair? Give me your hand. You've had your teacher do something unfair. If you're in high school, have you ever had a mark that was given to you that was not correct, or somebody did something that got them a better mark that they shouldn't have done. You ever seen that happen? Yeah, if you're in university, anybody hand in something made by ChatGBT, and you're just like, how do you get a good mark on that? No, you don't know anybody like that. <laughs> and so we start to realize that we want results. We just want, we want it made right. Give us justice. Give us freedom. Get rid of this garbage power structure that's around here. You know what? The, the troubles aren't just political. They're economic as well. They're social. They're all kinds of stuff. Why do people do things wrong? Why are they doing things that are wrong? Why do the kids at school do stuff that's wrong? Like they break the rules. They don't seem to get in away with it. Why? 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 I mean, it should just be stopped. Heck, if we listen to our, to our classes, if we listen to the tone in the world, we recognize that there is, that there is all types of, of oppression. People being oppressed all over the world. Things of, of, of war and hunger. Why? Why can't it just be stopped? Why can't it be stopped? We want someone to fix it to remove all the barriers, to act justly and give us a good life. Right, kids? Kids, you want a good life, right? Exactly. Adults, you want a good life, right? Exactly. See, the path to the Messiah that we want is all the things that we seem that's just going to make it right, get it done right now. And God sees deception in the method. Here we are in the aftermath of Good Friday, 
And we have to realize that Jesus is not the Messiah we naturally want. In the aftermath of Good Friday, the disciples are completely disillusioned. They went back to their everyday jobs. At first, the introduction of Jesus, we thought this is exactly what we wanted. A guy who's going to come along, who's going to fix everything, he looks like the Messiah we want. The stories of Jesus start off really, really strong. Power to do miracles to heal. Yes! You're giving equality to the disabled by bringing healing to people who were stuck in destitute poverty by sitting at a gate begging, and you bring healing to that so that they can participate in larger society. Yes, Jesus shows power and control over the chaos of the sea by giving, and giving us peace through trials. That's the type of Messiah we want. Jesus can overthrow powerful governmental systems and economic systems that oppress. And he did that when he flipped the tables in the, in the temple. And he was like, you, you make this place a, a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. And, he's, and what he was doing was he was actually liberating the poor people who were being oppressed in the temple because they couldn't afford to actually give the offerings that were required by Torah. And he just flips out on them. And he's like, no, he looks like the Messiah we wanted. Jesus displays the ability to solve for economic disparity. And so he provides food out of nothing. Come on. When was the last time you went to, to somewhere and the food just magically appears on your plate? Man, we've got no more food scarcity problems. We have all world hunger is now solved. It's just solved. This looks like the Messiah we want. There's no holds barred powerful Christ. I mean, at first, Jesus ticks every single box. And we're like, yes, I'm rallying to Jesus' side. But then Jesus starts acting strange. He stops fighting against evil at just the wrong time. The Messiah doesn't show weakness. The Messiah that we wanted doesn't die. The word Messiah means anointed one, the deliverer, the true vessel of God's power. And then God, in his wisdom, lets Jesus show his hand. Matthew 27, 33 to 30 to 44. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads at them, at him, and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, if you are that Messiah we've expected, come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. Can't he save himself? He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him reveled, reviled him sorry, in the same way. Hey, why didn't Jesus fight back? Why didn't he fight back? Do you think he could? Do you think Jesus could fight back? What do you think? Yeah, you think he could, right? But he didn't. The question of the disciples reverberates through the ages. Jesus, where's your great show of power? Where's the strength in the face of a brutal, oppressive regime? Where was the act of of justified self-defense? At least not allowing yourself to be made the fool in a public execution. You see, the tools that are available to us are oftentimes the tools that we think the Messiah needs. The tools that are available to us to fight against evil are oftentimes the only tools that we think the Messiah could use. And so we expect Jesus to do everything that we would have done except for Jesus isn't just like us, is he? Jesus saw beyond the trap, and he proves the Messiah that we need. But what is the trap? I mean, what's so wrong with our tools? What's so wrong with the way that we want things to be made right? Doesn't it sound good? Isn't it the right thing to do? Well, the trap is using evil to solve for the problem of evil. Do what it takes to make it right now and forget about the consequences. The trap is using force to create peace. Pax Romania, the peace of Rome, the edge of a sword. The way our world is run right now, peace at the edge of a sword. The trap is gaining compliance by a show of strength, imperial armies or police states. The trap that Jesus actually overcomes is he proves he's the actual Messiah by absorbing the evil without reflecting any of it back. He absorbs the worst that could come at him, and none of it comes back out. See, the greatest evil that humanity experiences is actually death. See, without death, we would have the patience to navigate everything, including this sermon. And so most other forms of and, and most other forms of evil would be fine because we could endure it for a time, because we would know that it would pass. We would get beyond hunger because it wouldn't lead to death. We would get beyond differences of opinion because we know that they wouldn't lead to death. We would have more patience. Death is the greatest evil. It doesn't, all these things, all these other things don't pose a threat to our mortality until death comes in, and Jesus absorbs death willingly. 
not fighting against it. See, the assertive fight against death perpetuates a lot of evils in this world. When we consider our text, we see that it was expected that Jesus would fight against death. Remember? They mocked him, saying, if you're the son of God, then you would come down from the cross. Fight against death. Jesus knew the way to be the Messiah was we need to use different tools. Here's a, here's a story. Kids, I want you to imagine this with me, okay? There's a great army, and they are controlling what other nations do because they have nuclear weapons. They've got all these nuclear weapons that are just stockpiled all along their borders, pointed at every other country. And they say, if you don't listen to us, then we're going to blow your country out of the water. Well, that's awful and terrible. And so country after country after country cower in fear because they go, oh man, we don't want to be blown out of the water. And they, and, they, and they just do whatever they get told because it's not too, too bad, but it's bad enough. They do whatever they get told and, and, and they keep on cowering. And I can imagine the newspapers in these countries asking the question, who's going to stand up against this tough army? When will a leader rise and fix all of this problem? Well, you know, one day a spy was sent into this country, into the big war country, that all the nuclear warheads. And the spy was sent in on a secret mission to disarm all of the warheads by, by computer programming and just gets rid of all the warheads. And the enemy didn't know that their warheads had been disabled. And so they keep on making these really loud threats and countries keep on cowering in fear. But the news starts getting out there that the warheads don't do anything anymore. It's a false threat. The warheads have been disabled. And so people start saying, wait a second, I don't have to listen to you. You don't have any power anymore because no one is shrinking away from the threat of nuclear war that doesn't have power. See, when the, when the spy snuck in unnoticed and unarmed, he disarmed the greatest threat. And now, all the countries can live in peace. So why did I tell you that story? I tell you the story because that's the story of the enemy of God. That's the story of the enemy of God. See, Satan's greatest weapon is death. It's his nuclear option. He's, it's, it's with death that he threatens everybody. And with the logic and the politics of death, the human need for self-preservation steps up, and Satan would remind people every day, you only live once. You only live once. But the problem is, it spurs on distrust and discord and fear and greed. It runs our anxiety it runs our concern. It runs the way we think about the world. 
You only live once separates people from loving each other and putting someone else first. You only live once means that you didn't get enough for your family to eat. That means they're going to die. You only live once means that when you die, you'll be forgotten unless, you're elev unless you elevated yourself to fame and greatness. You only live once is a weapon used against us to propel us to self-preservation. So we want the enemy removed. We want the enemy removed now because we want to see it. We don't want to die. So we fight for the enemy to be removed now. And the Messiah we needed is willing to die and overcome it. Jesus saw through the deception and he becomes the one who will do the unexpected. Jesus disarms the nuclear option in the most dramatic way. When Jesus died, the nuclear weapon of death appeared to work against him and Rome mocked the, the would-be insurgent. And he said, look, here's the king of the Jews and reminding all of us, don't rise up against him. Don't rise up against Rome. But today, 2,000 years later, we sit in a church celebrating something different. Jesus was successful in his spy mission to disarm death. Jesus was successful to disarm death. And today, we celebrate the physical resurrection of Jesus. Who thought, who through apparent defeat, rose again in bodily form? Jesus, who was killed, his dead body started to breathe again. If Jesus, who had power over the chaos of the sea and the problem of scarcity, if Jesus, who could make the blind see and the deaf hear, if Jesus, who could usher in the kingdom that would be open for all, if that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated the greatest weapon of the enemy, the enemy has nothing left to throw at us. It's finished. The enemy has been defeated. We stand as victors, not because we did anything, but because we recognize that Jesus did everything. Jesus defeated the threat. And so Jesus is the Messiah we always needed. A Messiah who doesn't use our military might, our political prowess, but overcomes through absorbing the worst cosmic evil could throw at him and then just gets up. He just gets up. Is that the best you got? Is that the best you got? A Messiah who promises he will return again to live with us forever, even cooler. A Messiah who says, not only have I resurrected, but you too will be resurrected in the last day. You too will join with me in eternal life where death is no longer a threat. Think about that this Easter. Think about how significant the removal of death as, as a threat. That's the Messiah we need. And when Jesus removes evil completely, it's the absolute removal of evil. So where I stand is crucial. Where you stand is crucial. Because for evil to be removed from around me, it also needs to be removed from 
within me. If evil's going to be removed from around me, all the reactions to death, it also needs to be removed from within me. All the self-preservation, the fight, the I'm going to do it now, the impatience. The evil that is within me must die, just as Jesus died. It must be sacrificed, not by force and not by a church, but because it's the way to salvation. Jesus is the one who died, rose from the dead on Easter to save us from the evil that you can't fight off. You can't fight it off. Our path forward is to offer our own lives. Someone just asked me on Slack, how does this apply to the elements of the human experience or specific individuals that actually desire to even welcome death? What does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, you were created to live at peace with me forever. The reason you would welcome death is because of the evil you have experienced. And Jesus promises freedom from that. The path forward for our life comes from Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as your spiritual act of worship. Today, no matter how old you are, if you hear the Messiah you need, he will lead you by example through death to life. And for the first time, if you're saying, Jesus, be my Lord, lead me through this transformation from death to life, I want to pray for you while the worship team is just coming on up. I want to pray for you. This is the hard part for all of us. Are you willing to follow Jesus even though it's such a high level of personal sacrifice? It's the path to overcome the evil one, but that path is not for the weak or the faint of heart. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Are you willing to follow Jesus even though it's a high level of sacrifice? It's exactly what we need. Jesus is the Messiah that we need. If you're willing to follow Jesus and you've said that maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, but you haven't yet been baptized, baptism is your next step. Where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm willing to go through death into life. I'm willing to give my life to absorb the threat just like you did, knowing that Jesus will rise, will raise you up in the end. That you will have eternal life. So let me pray. And right after I pray, um, if that either one is you, if you're just giving your life to Jesus for the first time, go to promisechurch.community in the Get Connected box and say, I put my life-altering trust in Jesus. And if you realize that you, that you have not yet been baptized, go to promisechurch.community and say, I, I, I need to get baptized. I need to participate in that death-to-life experience. Our next baptism is scheduled to be outdoors, so that means it's in June, on June 18th. 
and uh, it's going to be a great service. It's actually Father's Day. Um, what a great day to get baptized. So let me pray for you all. Would you have them stand? All right. Come on up. Jesus, you are the Messiah we need. We see clearly that all of our ways, that our struggles, that our fights, they perpetuate more and more evil, more and more fear of scarcity, death, pride. But Jesus, your way of absorbing it gives us hope for a future. That you will remove the evil from the world and make all things right. You will remove the evil from me and make things right in me. Jesus, I pray that you do that work in my heart again. Make me more right than I was this morning when I woke up. Create in me a clean heart. Put a steadfast spirit in me, O oh Lord. Cast me not away from your presence. Jesus, I pray for those who may pray that prayer for the first time. God, I pray that you would start to open up eyes so they can see, so we can once again see what it is you're doing. And for those of us who need to be baptized, I pray that we would be baptized. In Jesus' name.